0: 1 Samuel chapter 22 is where we want to begin reading, verses 1 and 2. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress... And everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented, gathered to him. And he became captain over them. Now there were about four hundred men with him. This is a unique section in the scripture because it's the only place in the life of David where it says that he lived in a cave for an extended period of time. He, He was a cave dweller. Before I talk tonight about the life of David, I want to talk about your life. Some of you um, live in a cave. Now I know not literally, you live in nice houses and you're going to go home tonight to a nice house, a warm house, comfortable surroundings, but emotionally you live in a cave. It's dark and dismal and damp and lonely there. And you're going to go home tonight, you're going to crawl into your cave where you're going to be lonely and discouraged and disillusioned with life. Many of you, some of you, live in a cave. Now we can't tell who those people are because we keep that covered. We've got that camouflaged. And we don't want anybody to know that we're discouraged and depressed and lonely and life isn't just going great for us? Especially do we not want the folks at the church to know that? I read an article from Mead's Journal on Psychology and Theology recently under the title of Self-Disclosure in the Biblical Perspective. And in this article, this lady gives an illustration, a testimony about... Her lonely life that she couldn't share with folks at church. Listen to what she says. There's nothing nothing short of tragic that many people in churches today are finding more acceptance and support in secular encounter groups than they find in their churches. The church is called a hospital for the sick and not a museum for saints. I wonder... In church, I find no sign of illness in those around me. I'm fitted out in my Sunday best shoes and smile. And we talk about what we've done, but we seldom talk about what we're feeling. We may talk about spiritual victory, but we carefully camouflage defeats or struggles. On Sunday, I come to church in search of of healing spiritually. I feel alone. Out of place in the atmosphere there. I feel like a measles spotted child in a nursery full of healthy youngsters. Once or twice I tried to talk about my need in Sunday school, but I sensed a tension built around me as I tried to describe my symptoms. When the fever of struggle and defeat hits me now, I simply remain silent, fortunately, I find fellow strugglers in the Bible like Job, David, and Elijah, they spoke hauntingly about their struggles. It's sad that I know these men in the Bible better than I know the folks in my Sunday school class. Now, we wouldn't want anybody in church to know that we have pain and problems, and we come out just occasionally out of our dark dungeons and of disappointment and Despair long enough to try to find somebody who understands us. We wouldn't know, want anybody to know. For after all, isn't the Christian life so, supposed to be sailing on one cloud nine to the next? I'm here to tell you that that the Christian life does not mean that all the days are up. Some of the days are downers. I mean big ones. And sometimes we get just as low as we can ever get, even to the point that we lose our self-respect. The Christian life is not just one cloud after another. You may ask, well, what's it like? I'm not sure that I really know if I'm you know, living in a cave or not. I want you to turn to the 142nd Psalm because I want to give you a little feeling. I want to give you a little picture of how David felt in the cave what it's like there, 142nd Psalm. Now your Bible may not have what mine has, but at the top of that psalm it has the Moskiel of David. It means this is a psalm that is instructive in nature. It was written to ex- instruct people, to, to say to them, I, I want you to learn from this psalm. And it was, it was a Moskiel of David when he was in the cave. Now listen to it. I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I declare my trouble before Him. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, Thou didst know my path in the way where I walk. They've hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see... For there is no one who cares about me. Does that sound like anybody you know? Sound familiar? Nobody cares about me. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. A number of years ago, it's a true story. A young man uh, registered as a student at OBU several years ago. He was kind of a, you know, he was kind of an oddball, really. Didn't relate well with any of his peers. Kind of a loner, kind of a lonely guy. And it wasn't long until he was kind of rubbing everybody the wrong way. Just trying his best to find a friend on the campus of OBU, one of the Baptist University of Oklahoma. One day he went into his room and shut the door and locked it. And there was this loud bang went on in there in the dormitory. And, and it sounded like a firecracker. Nobody really... You know, paid, that was going on at Darm all the time. Finally, somebody tried the door, couldn't get it open, so they got the security, broke the door down, found him there. And he had his face in the open Bible and had, his, had this passage underlined, No one cares for me. That's what it's like in the cave. Now, I want you to go back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 22. Back to that first verse. Because David is crawling into this cave and he's lost everything. All his crutches are gone. You remember last Sunday night we talked about the crutches. They're all gone. You remember what they were? He lost his job. He lost his companion. Michael turned on him, was told a lie about him. We're going to see later that he went back to live with her, but their heart was not really knit together. He lost his companion. He lost his counselor. That is Samuel, the man who had, who had guided him and instructed him. He lost his best friend, who was Jonathan. No longer did he have his best friend, and he lost his self-respect. And the last thing we saw about David was that he was in the nation of Gath, where Goliath had come from, and he'd gone back to that king there, and he was feigning insanity, and he was scratching at the gates, the post of the gates, And he was letting his own saliva run down into his beard. And the king of gas said, What are you bringing me a nut like this for? He'd lost his self-respect. Everything was gone. And there was nobody there to comfort him and nothing there to support him. That's what it's like in the dark, damp, lonely places where you and I live from time to time. Now I want you to look with me at the guys that came into his life at this time. The people that God, what, look what God's doing, Going, what's going on here, what God's doing in him. Somebody said that the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the making of a saint is the task of a lifetime. And what God is doing is making a saint for a lifetime. Look at the challenges that are, that are occurring now in David's life in this cave. Who comes to him? Well, his brother's. And his father, the Bible said, First Samuel chapter 22, verse 1, his brothers and his father came. Now that doesn't make a whole, you know, that, that, that sounds like that would be normal, but you remember what we know about his brothers and his father? When Samuel came to anoint the king, uh, one of Jesse's sons as king, he got, them all, got all of his sons out there, didn't even include David. I mean, he wasn't even significant enough. To his own father to include him, and so when God said no, none of these are the one, None of these guys are going to be are to be king. Samuel said, "Well, is there somebody else?" And the father said, "Oh yeah, you know, I do have one son, one other son out tending the sheep." And the word in the Hebrew means he was so insignificant to that family's life they didn't even remember him. And you remember, of course, in our study. That when David went to the field of battle, as they did battle with the Philistines, his brothers met him there and said, "What are you doing here? You've just come, you know, to get in the limelight." And they challenged him. That's what his brothers and his father thought of him. Now, let me tell you something practical. And it's true. That when you get into the cave, you know, and emotionally it's dark, and you, you know, you don't want anybody there with you. Not to, you just want to be left alone. And I can just see David, you know, in this dark cave, and, and he just wants to, you know, get away from everybody. And he's thinking to himself, if I don't mean any more to anybody than then, then that, I'll just live the rest of my life out here. He won't want to be bothered. And all of a sudden, his family shows up. That's not all. Look at this crowd of people that comes there all of a sudden. Look at this. Now you remember. Now David's pretty. He's lost everything in his life, and all of a sudden, his brothers and his father show up, and then everyone who was in distress—hmm—the word means under pressure, under stress. It, all of a sudden, these neurotics showed up. You know, all these guys had been under all this pressure in life, just came tramping in. And everyone who was in debt, don't you love it? The word means to lend out money to a number of creditors. When I was a kid, I remember reading the story about the hole-in-the-wall gang, and there was this little you know, place where all the outlaws ran when the law was after them. And that's kind of about what it's like here. Everybody who was in debt and couldn't pay their debts all, all of a sudden showed up at David's doorstep. And, and everyone who was discontented, he had all these malcontents, and there was 400 of them moved into this cave with this poor guy. Wonder what it smelled like in there. You know, 400 folks. And he's got everybody who's in debt, everybody all the neurotics in town, all the malcontents who had bitterness, And they all move in on David. And if you'll turn sometime and look at chapter 23, verse 16, the number is swelled to 600, 200 more after this move in on him. Now what's going on there? Well, I think there's several things that are happening. Now watch this carefully. I think what God is doing is helping David to see that he's not the only one who has problems. Now that doesn't, give too much, that doesn't give much encouragement and much help to a person who's you know, living in the darkness of a cave, but it kind of helps to know that he's not unique. His situation is not unique. There are other people who have problems also. I think a second thing that is happening here is that God is wanting David to see that the best way out of a cave is to pour your life into caring for other people. Now what we want to do when, when, when life caves in on us and trouble comes and we get discouraged and despondent is we want to run and we want to you know, turn in on ourselves and we want to live our little life and, and, and it becomes a reinforcing cycle. The more that happens, the more we do that, the more unhappier we become. And God is helping David to see that the best way out of this kind of miserable existence is to pour your life into all these other kinds of troubles that people have. It's a good lesson for today. As a matter of fact, you know, sometimes I think that God brings into our life the very people that He wants to expose that have the problems he wants to expose in us. I did a little deal uh, Wednesday. I mean Friday in my 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 luncheon. I should have brought it in tonight. And I I got a glass of tea, you know, and I asked old Hazel. I said, you know, I put that had that held that glass of tea, and I asked him to shake my hand. He shook it and he shook it hard enough till the tea spilled out on the table. And so I asked Hazel. Comes to my noon luncheon. Everybody picks on Hazel. I said, why? I said, what came out of that glass? And he said, well, tea. And I said, well, why did it come out of the glass? And he said, because I shook it. And I, you know, I, was, that's, I knew that's what he was going to say. And I said, no, that's not why the tea came out of the glass. Tea came out of the glass because the tea was in the glass. He said, well, that, yeah, well, that, you know, that's profound. Now, this is the point, is that God brings people into our life that shake us up in order to show us what's inside of us. And so here is David in a cave, discontented, under under distress, he had a debt he couldn't pay, and God brings into his life the very people who can show him what he's got in his own life. And I think there's another thing that's going on here. Is that God is helping David see that the wounded become the best healers? For what what is this? What, what kind of place is this? Well, it is a place of training. And if you want to trace this story out, these men, these 600 men, become, listen, become David's fighting men. They're his elite. And if you'll follow that and look through in 1 Kings, you'll see that these men became the cabinet officers, the members of the cabinet when David took office and they became the men that were his fighting men, his right hand. And the Bible says that David trained these men to become skilled in the, with the bow and with the spear. And so all of this is a part of the plan of God, getting him out of the cave and that place becomes a training ground. Let me tell you something. There's no place on earth regardless of where you are if you have the right kind of commitment to God that God can't use for your advantage somewhere down the line. Now let me show you something. I want you to look at two other psalms. The first is Psalm 57. Turn to that psalm with me, will you? Psalm 57. Now it looks like that, that these psalms were written, and they were placed here backwards because Psalm 142 finds David on his face. Psalm 57 is a psalm written from the cave and David's on his knees. He was on his face. Now he's on his knees. Now look at what he said. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in Thee. In the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. Look at verse 5. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They've prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They, They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing Yes, I will sing praises. Now, David's on his knees and his face is looking up and he's praising God. I want you to turn to Psalm 34. The last psalm from a cave. David's on his face in Psalm 142. He's on his knees in Psalm 57. He's on his feet in Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Verse eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And so we've come from the dark of the cave to the shout of praise. Now, how did the change come? Man, what happened there? I see three applications. We'll get these and then we'll go home. The change came. I want you to get these, please. If nothing else, write these down in the fly leaf of your Bible if you don't have a worksheet. The change came because David hurt enough to admit his need. He heard enough, H-U-R-T, to admit his need. I heard about a pastor who went to a church to lead in a small group kind of a, um, kind of a seminar type thing, which he was going to you know, lead people to work through their needs and their problems. And he said, we had this group of 14 people in this, in this room and he said, what I was after was to you know, find out what the needs were there and the lives of those people. And we were going to pray for one another and talk about it and kind of have some group therapy. And he said, not one single person in that room admitted any kind of hurt or need. And he said, it's a pretty frustrating evening. He said, just before I dismissed, he said, one young lady stood up and said, I am hurting so bad. And she said, All I want in life is to have what everybody in this room already has. You know, we get together and we brag and we talk about how good it is. It's my pet peeve. We go off in these meetings, all these preachers get together and brag about how great it is. I absolutely loaf it. And to get me in one of those meetings, you're going to have to drag me in there. And there was a meeting of these preachers one time, true story, and everybody was bragging about how great it was in their church. And after everybody had spouted off and bragged about how great it was, one poor pastor stood up at the back and he said, Folks, I am about to die so I am hurting. And he said I listen to all you folks brag about how great it is in your church and I don't have it so great in my church. And he said I wish that I could go some get into some group where we would be honest enough to say we have hurts. I'm hurting and know that somebody cared about that. One well, of the most moving experiences I've been to in a long time is I, about two years ago, I, I went to a, a Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma and they had the pastor's conference. And, and this pastor got up and, and he was giving his testimony. And, and he said, Now, what I'm about to say, he said, It's, it's, it's literally, literally wrenching my heart to say what I'm about to say. He said, You know, he said, I, my, my son is on dope. And he went on to tell about how his, 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 this pastor, his son, they you know, would come in at night and, and you know, drugged up on dope. And he said he'd go into these, he had these riggers you know, in his room and see these you know, snakes and everything about to, and he said they'd call him in the middle of the night, the police would, not say, come get you a son. He's down here spaced out somewhere. And he said, you know, for months I went through that. I wasn't going to tell a soul because I didn't feel like, he said, when I got in a meeting with preachers that I could share something like that. But he said, I got to hurting so bad he said, I couldn't stand it any longer. Now the reason why David went through this change is because he hurt enough to admit his need. Secondly, because he was honest enough to cry for help. He was honest enough to cry for help. And we put on these veneers and we wear these robes of, you know, and everything is fine and we paint on our faces. Listen, we can be honest with one another. He was honest enough to cry for help. He was willing to say, I need help. Third, he was humble enough to learn from God. He was humble enough to learn from God. The tragic thing is that we live our life from one cave to another and never learn any lessons. He was humble enough to learn from God. In other words, when the experience came into his life, he said, okay, God, I'm ready. You teach me. And God always seems to, to make great The people who are humble enough to learn from experiences that are hurtful and painful and discouraging. Let's pray together. Father, there's some of us tonight who who would have to admit that it's pretty lonely where we live. It's pretty dark there. And it's pretty hurtful there. We'd like to cry out, God, Have for us reorder our life show us the way send somebody into our life dear lord that that can teach us even if they are they are unlovely and unattractive and unpleasant people God, we want to learn what you have to teach us and god if we're not in a position of brokenness to the point that we can learn, then just keep on working on us until we are. What we want, Father, is a lifetime of service, a lifetime of effectiveness, a lifetime where You can get glory and be glorified in us. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Now, there's a reason why we're here tonight. The reason why we're here is that we came to hear from God. And God has spoken to us. And some of us have come because it's just help. It helps to come. We've been looking for help. There may be needs tonight that need to be met in an altar with caring people. You might like to come tonight just to kneel and pray or to come here. Maybe some friend would come out from... The, the pew and come stand by you, pray with you. The point is that that there is hope and there is help for people who are hurting. And that hope and help is in the grace of God and in the mercy of His people. You may need to come tonight to give your life to Christ or to join the church. It seems like that many times we, we, we proclaim... On deaf ears. Be open to God tonight. Be willing to say yes to Him while we stand to sing.